This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Welcome to the Circuit of Success, and thank you for joining me. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait, but I believe the opposite. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude, a great belief system, and action every single day. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision, that's when greatness happens. Now let's dive right in to this week's guest. Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I have the privilege to uh, sit in a room and interview Jackie Joyner-Kersey. Jackie, how you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, well, first off, thanks for being here. We're in our uh, O'Fallon, Illinois office, studio, if you will, and uh, so it's great to have you and, and look forward to our listeners getting to hear your story today. And uh, But for those of us, uh, you know, maybe there's that one person that's under a rock that doesn't know who you are, uh, but once you... Kind of tell our listeners who you are, what's uh, helped you become the woman you are today. My name is Jackie Joanna Kersey. I grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois. I went to uh, East St. Louis uh, Lincoln Senior High School. I also went to UCLA on a basketball scholarship. And then I also have the Jackie Joanna Kersey Community Center in East St. Louis. And and I won a few medals, uh, <laughs> three <laughs> golds, a right. silver, and, and two bronze, and four different Olympic Games. Yes, and so uh, that's one thing, and we were just talking before we started recording, I didn't realize what a basketball player you are. You know what, I, I really uh, enjoy basketball. I love the challenge of it. Uh, I didn't really think I was going to play on the collegiate level because I thought maybe I was too short, you know, not yeah. realizing that I had the jumping ability. and. So I ended up getting my scholarship in basketball and started all four years at UCLA. Wow, that's yeah. a big deal. So why don't you uh, tell us about your childhood? I mean, what was that growing up like? We'll, we'll spend a little bit of time on, on some of the other stuff a little bit later, but I'm always fascinated by people that grew up in, um, in today's world. We were talking about this again before we were recording about what sports is like today versus mm-hmm. what it was back then. So talk to us about what childhood was like. You were playing basketball. You were doing those things. What was that like? You know, um, when I was growing up, there weren't really a lot of opportunities for girls in sports at that time. We didn't know it. And so I came through a community center and through that community center, I was exposed to the different athletic uh, activities from basketball, track and field, uh, batman, volleyball. I also was a cheerleader. And, but my mom wasn't really, she didn't really have an interest in me doing Athletics. She wanted me to get a job and an education, <laughs> and so the challenge of trying to balance uh, both what my parents wanted, but also what I had a passion for, and and sports. And at that community center, it gave it to me. But I realized that you know my mom and dad struggled, you know, to make ends meet. You know, there were times when we didn't have heat in our home and we didn't have food on the table, but we had to really uh, come together and and was mainly. We were taught to just focus on the things that we could control and not worry about the things we couldn't control. Yeah. And sports gave me that outlet where I could just challenge myself and have fun, not realizing that I was blessed with an athletic gift. Right. So not knowing what was, that was kind of your way to get away from the stuff going on at home yes. and it was your outlet, if you yeah. will. Let's talk about the, um, you, you talked about three gold medals, one silver medal and two bronze medals. Um, doing my research, I was I was uh, fascinated, and I remember like it was yesterday uh, the 1996 bronze medal, where I've heard you say it was probably the most important one. Tell us about that. Why was that? 
You know, the, the reason the 1996 uh, Olympic medal was my prize and joy, before I could even get to 96, it started in 84. In 1984, I was picked to win the gold, and I had never been injured before, and I was dealing with an injury that I really let that injury get the best of me. Psychologically, I didn't focus on the things I needed to do to get the job done. Because my leg was heavily bandaged, that meant something was wrong. And even though my coaches and everyone said I was ready to go, but I didn't believe I was ready to go. And I went through that, and I missed winning a goal in Los Angeles by five points. And then some 12 years later, I have an opportunity to make another Olympic team in 96 or 16 years later, I make another Olympic, Olympic team and I'm dealing with similar injury but opposite leg and it had come full circle had I learned and going into the final uh, competition, a long jump and my last jump, I'm in sixth position and I said to myself that, you know, never give up on yourself if you believe you can get the job done. And I visualized myself coming down the runway, attacking the board, climbing in the air, holding myself in the air for one second. And I said that if the leg goes, they're gonna send a gurney out there and pick me up. But I'm gonna give it everything I have to give. And I was going for the, for the goal. Uh, and because of that, I think I came away with the bronze. Yeah. And that's why the 96 Olympic bronze medal means more to me because I, at that time, I'm already an Olympic champion. I'm a world record holder. I could have walked away, but I didn't give up. I wanted to give it my last shot. Yeah, you battled. You yes. battled. That yes. was awesome. I do remember that too. Your leg being bandaged. <laughs> yes. and you did oh, that job. And the emotions, <laughs> the emotions behind that was phenomenal. And so, and, and so, talk about that. I mean, a lot of this podcast is built around the mental side. So, whether you're in sports or you're in the boardroom for business, whatever it may be. You, know, you got your friend Joe Mark over here and introduced us from Enterprise Bank. And, and uh, so thankful he's here today to yes. introduce the two of us. And so he's sitting in a boardroom and, and you're on a track, uh, you know, at a track meet somewhere. What's the mental side of that? What's the preparation like? You know, the preparation starts in practice. Uh, you prepare yourself. You do repeats in practice. You go through different things in practice. And once you get ready for the competition, it's really about executing. You don't have a whole lot of time to be thinking about what you need to do. That's already been determined and done. So for me, it was really about, I always visualize. I visualize myself going through my events. I visualize myself uh, coming across the finish line. I visualize myself winning. But I also visualize myself giving it my all. And in doing that, sometimes you fall short, but I, I recognize that I could walk away because I know I had given my all. And I think that's very important. And even if you translate that into the business world, is that every day there are gonna be challenges, you know, and are you gonna be part of the solution or are you gonna find the solution to the problem? And the focus gotta be, how do I find a solution? not let that problem absorb my energy to the point where I get I, I can't focus. Is one of the analogies we use in our sport is that we know we need to execute, but you can't get to the point where you get paralysis by analysis, that you analyze and everything and you can't move at all. Yeah, and so when you talk about that visualization, what's that look like for you? Are you, uh, you know, I always talk about Jason Day, the golfer now, I watch, before he hits a ball, if you watch him, he, he shuts his eyes, breathes, He's visualizing the shot, gets up there and makes a shot, and that's why he's one of the best golfers in the world, right? And so what, what did that look like for you right before a race started? What were you doing? You know, right before a race, I actually uh, see myself walking through the tunnel. I'm um, at the start of the race. I see myself doing my 
little routine that I that I might go through, uh, get into the starting blocks, uh, real intent listening for the gun to go that goes off, uh, making sure I don't move before that, and then once the gun goes off, I'm. I'm just executing. I see myself as at the 100 meter hurdles. I'm attacking the first three hurdles. I know uh, four, five, and six is where the competition is at seven, eight, nine, ten. At the seventh hurdle, I'm regrouping. I'm coming down, and then I'm going across the finish line from the tenth hurdle to the finish line. I know I got five strides, and I'm crossing that line, and hopefully I execute it and look over to the side and see what time is up there. <laughs> so if you're, if you're listening to this and not able to watch it because we're recording the day, is you can see in her eyes and her mind, she, she was actually doing that race right here today and, uh, and how that just built into her brain. So that was, that's awesome. And so, uh, and so talk about that moment. You, you cross that line, you look over, hands go up, right? All the track stars, you all do that. And it's like, you just won the gold medal. You know what, uh, for me, it's a little different because I compete in the multi-events and that's just one moment because I have to do six other events before I can even claim victory to the goal. Right. So on, on, in, in some cases, yes, you want to celebrate, but I only have 30 minutes before the next event. So I better calm down, refocus and get ready for the next event because you can really lose sight in that moment of celebrating and forget that, okay, you got another event you got to go to. Right. <laughs> you know? Hurry up. So it's all a part of the process and all part of the preparation that really I am expected to do well. You know, I just look over to make sure that either the time have confirmed where I should be, you know, and so, but it is a, it is a great experience. But in our sport, it is track and field, and I think in any sport, I think the key is always to stay humble, you know, and sometimes you lose sight of that mm-hmm. and you get caught up and then you find yourself stumbling in <laughs> the next event. Yeah. Just something to remind you, you and, know. In that event, the, the whole deal of the seven, um, seven different things you have to do, so the hurdles, high jump, shot put, oh 200 meters, the long jump, the javelin throw, and the 800 meters. Right, yes. so how long does that take? What's that process like? Oh wow, that process is, the first day, uh, the first uh, four events, the 100 meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meters. And it's, it's almost like an eight hour day. And the reason it would take so long because the hurdles might start at eight in the morning. And then after all the heats of the hurdles have gone, then you have 30 minutes to get ready for the next event. And in that 30 minutes, the high jump is the event that could take the longest because you have to start at the lowest height and so if someone's coming in at five feet and you're looking to jump six two, six three, six four, six five, and they're going up every uh, centimeter, that might take anywhere between two to three hours. Wow. So you got to really, really work on your discipline. You know, that's where you have to uh, keep your focus. And all these are the things that you do in practice. So you learn to elevate your legs. You learn to conserve your energy. You learn when you should warm up. And if the event is taking too long, even though I might want to come in at five feet, eight inches, that no, I might need to come in at five feet, three inches so I can get a mark on the board because your body is already warmed up, but just sitting there for an hour, your body will start to tighten up. So you go through the high jump, then you have the shot, then the 200 meters. Then that evening, I work with my physical therapist. He flushed me out. I ice my legs down. I get a good meal, go get a good night's sleep, come back the next day, 
and do it over. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the, men, the, the mental side of that is, and we'll get more into that, but what, what were your daily routines? Like what were your daily habits like to be at peak performance uh, during it, whether it was in basketball, uh-huh. whether it was at the Olympics or even now in the business world that you're in, what, what do you do in those daily habits? You know what? Um, you always got to uh, keep in mind uh, the goals and how you prioritize, how you time management and, and your focus. And I also recognize even in the business world or even just doing the work at the community center or being in the athletic arena that, you know, I, I can't be everything to everybody, you know, and it's okay to pull certain things away. If today if I need to just focus on this one aspect and let's focus on that and then build on it because when I take on too much, it becomes overwhelming, and then I start to believe that I can't do it, and I can't isn't a part of my vocabulary. Yeah. So impossible, spell impossible, right. right? That's right. why I love, I love that right. word. So what was your exercise routine like? When you look at that, and obviously you got to be at the peak level performance because you're playing against and competing against the world's best at what you do. And so what was your exercise routine? Our exercise routine is that we would look at the schedule and we know in August this is where we want to be and then we'll work our way backwards. So well, forward to the beginning of training. So we knew come October, November, that's, those are the months that are dedicated to strength work and conditioning work, uh, long hours in the weight room. And then you get into... Um, Describe prob- long hours. What's that Long mean? hours would be like eight, nine hours, Ooh. you know, a day. You're, you're, that, that includes the work that you're doing on the track, the work uh, that you're doing with your physical therapist, then also uh, the conditioning work that you might come back and do or your weight room work. So my schedule was designed how I would have to compete. So I had to figure out during those hours when I would find myself getting bored and what would I do with that boredom time. So and how do I conserve my energy? You know, so if I'm on the track and I might have to do a 600 breakdown, you know, that might be a 600, full 40 to uh, 320, then 250, then 150, you know, that kind of breakdown but then you might have a break. And so in that break, what do you do? Do you find yourself laughing and having fun with your friends? No, I find myself getting in a corner and elevating my legs, conserving the energy, because now I gotta come back Mm -hmm. out here in an hour and just do technical work in the shot put or technical work in the javelin. Then after that, then I will leave and go see my physical therapist. Physical therapist will flush my legs out, see how my legs feel. If he feels something, if I'm feeling something, communicate that back to the coach that maybe I think our hamstrings are real tendered and might not be a good idea tomorrow you guys are supposed to do speed work I would back off on the speed work hmm. you know and and then after that then I might have to go do uh, not have to I would go and do a, a 20 minute uh, road run to finish up my conditioning okay so you wanted your body to feel exactly or similar to what you were going to feel like in a competition because in a competition it comes down to are you mentally prepared or are you just, you, you're not doing what you're supposed just to do. Just going through the motions. Going through right. the motions. Yeah. And, and so talk about that because not every day do you want to get up and, and go work out for eight or nine hours. Not every day, you know, do we want to get up and, and go to the office for eight or nine hours, right? But those, those people that are great, they do it, right? They right. do it anyway and they show up and they make things happen. So on the days you didn't want to go, how did you make yourself do it? The thought of never going never crossed my mind because no one could outwork me. 
when I, so I was always in that mode of these are the things that I need to do. These are the things I have to do uh, because someone is out there uh, wanting what I have. And if you want what I have, that is a gold medal or the world record, then that means you are working me. So I couldn't allow that to happen. So even days when I didn't feel good, I know that I'm asking my body to, to go through seven different disciplines and for it not to ache that, you know, it's crazy for me to think that my opponents are not aching either. So no, it's not about the aching. You put that beside you and I get out here and do what I have to do. So when you hear the word vision, what comes to mind? Really the idea that I have for myself or where I see myself going or where I see myself accomplishing or what I see myself doing. When you, um, and, and so when you, when, let's talk about that. So when you say, when you see in your mind what you're doing, how, how, what's that process like? Do you, do you, were you a quiet time physically dream and think about where you were going or were you more of just, no, I know I want to win that gold medal, now let's back it into the exercise program. What, what was that like? <laughs> no, uh, you have a vision and, and as a young person, you just think it's going to happen, but that's not how it works. You have to put in the work. You, you know, you have to, for me, it was really having a lot of faith and I didn't have to see it to believe it. I believe that if I did the work, the results would come. And they might not happen when I wanted them to happen, but the results, your hard work will pay off. Yep. And so for me, that vision was like, when I was 14 and I said, oh, I wanna go to the Olympics. I didn't really know what I was saying or what that really meant. But when I saw young ladies on the television who looked like me was doing what I was trying to do, and I was like, wow, maybe I can go to the Olympics. So I went to the coaches and they said, well, you have the potential, but you have to be willing to work hard. So that vision always stayed there that one day I can get on TV by going to the Olympics. <laughs> That's awesome. No. That was great. And so let's talk about that. I know uh, what's, uh, I got to hear my notes here. Uh, Babe Didrikson Zaharias, is yes. that how you last yes. name, right? Yes. And, and so I, I had read somewhere that that was one of your inspirations. And then uh, the Sports Illustrated Women voted you the greatest female athlete alive, right? And who was number two? She was. Right. Babe. She was. But she, yes. <laughs> but what? What were you going to say? You know, Babe was uh, just a remarkable. I didn't have an opportunity to meet her, you know. I read her story, I watched her movies on television and just to see uh, what she was able to do for women's sports and, and during a time where really uh, women's athletics weren't really appreciated, their talents. And so to be the best in track and field and then also to go on and win LPGA, you know, I'm like. Who is this? All right, you know, just really, uh, incredible, remarkable uh, woman that was very physically and, and just mentally very gifted, you yeah. know, because it takes a real tough mental capability to be able to achieve what she was able to achieve during a time where I'm sure it was just quite different from the times when I was blessed to compete. Yeah. And the same with uh, Wilma Rudolph, uh, with Wilma. Um, being someone I admire, but then also had the opportunity to meet her and to sit down and have conversation with her and women being embracing me. Right. Do you ever look back? I'm always fascinated when I get to talk to athletes and, and being a person, I grew up playing sports and played college, all that kind of stuff. And, and do you ever wake up and say, and you probably don't because I know you're very humble, but 
uh, I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, what what just happened in my life? I, I'm Jackie Joyner Kersey. I'm you know one of the most decorated you know female athletes ever in the history of the world of sports. Like, do you ever sit on the back porch and maybe you know have a drink and think about that stuff? I mean, what's that like? No, you don't. But you know, I have friends and and they remind me. You know, Jackie. We thought you were crazy when you said you were going to do these things, yeah. <laughs> you know, but you stay with it, you know, and, but for me, I think that uh, doing it and uh, being able to accomplish what I've been able to accomplish, I just believe it was meant to be, you know, I was set on this path and this was the direction I was going to go in. and. And even though you have some missteps along the way, but I think those are uh, life lessons. You know, you learn from those experiences. And uh, because, like, I, 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 you know, I share with people, I tell them, I say, you know, when I train, I didn't train to be second best. Mm. You know, I trained to be the best. And, and, and being the best might not mean winning all the time, but it's knowing that every time I went out there, I gave everything I had to give. When I left that stadium, when I left that boardroom, I left there being exhausted because I had given my all. You know, so for me, that's that has always been a part of my makeup and what I really, really believe. So, what would you tell that person right now? That's you know, they're they're driving down the road, they're listening to this, and they say, "I'm not Jackie Joyner Kersey, right? I wasn't given this God-given talent, but you also had to work your butt off, right, uh -huh. to make it happen." But Forget that for a second. They're, they're listening to this and they're thinking, yeah, I'm not Jackie Joyner Kersey. I'm struggling with whatever it is I'm struggling with. How do you overcome that? I mean, how do you battle through all that? You know, uh, we all are different in our own ways and we all have our own uniqueness. Uh, but I think that it's important for we all deal with different things that we struggle with and trying to find what is it that make you tick? What is it that make you happy? What did you do in, in a day that was good? Not focus on the negative because sometimes the negative, you know, just overpower the positive things that you're doing. But if you could just think about what it is that you have accomplished in that day. You might not be a Jackie Joyner Kersey, but I can honestly say this. There were times when me being an asthmatic, and as difficult as it was at times when I was on that track, I never gave in to it. I've tried to figure out what I need to do to get my asthma under control because it was getting the best of me. And I knew internally, but I would never let anyone know that this is a battle, you know? So what I'm saying to the listener is that whatever it is that you might be battling, that you have the inner innately power to change that. You have to change your mindset. When you change your mindset, it will change your behavior. And once your behavior changed, then the actions moving forward will start to, to change as well. So if you believe you can do it, then you gotta honestly say, I believe that. Not just say it because my friends around, okay, I believe it, and your actions show something totally different. Yep. So let's talk about the circuit of success. We talked about it up here on the wall before we started recording. So attitude, talk to us about attitude. The attitude is a uh, lean factor. You know, I, what we think and believe, you know, our attitude would demonstrate that. And, and it's just something about that if you're a believer, you're a believer. 
You know, if you believe you can get it done, you know, or if you're one of them people that I see red, no, it's blue. <laughs> you're going to always see blue. And you're going to act like you see blue. So your attitude is everything. You know, uh, one of the things that my coach, my coach coaching me, who was my husband, <laughs> it was always that I had to re- always be, not reminded, but respectful that in order for us to win together, I had to always be willing to be the student. No matter how great they said I was or what I was doing, he was always the coach. So always keeping myself in a coachable position so I could continue to learn, not take on the attitude because of all the accolades and the news clippings that I started to change and my attitude started to change because then my behavior changed and my performance start to change as well. Yeah, it's big. To, to, to be great, I always had to be the student. That yes. was That's phenomenal. Yes. That's, a, that's a great piece of advice right there. Um, so talk to us, and you've mentioned this already today, but beliefs. So the second rung on that circuit is beliefs. I mean, what are your beliefs to, to be great, to be successful? You know, my, my belief is that, one, I have a lot of faith. Uh, two, I realized, you know, that God blessed me. and But then, not only blessing me, but blessing the right people to be in my circle. And, and that's crucial because on the journey of, in, in athletics, you know, that there's sometimes you young and you don't know how great you could be, but that's what coaches are there for. They, their eyes, they see you, they, they, they could see you five years down the road. So having that kind of belief and faith speaks volumes because that's the encouragement that one needs to continue to come back day in and day out. And it's the same way that, you know, a listener out there might be saying, well, no, I'm not there. But your team leader, your captain is always saying that, you know, I know you can do this. Oh, you're doing better. Or you might take it as, oh, why are they on me? Why are they? Because they see the potential in you and they know that you can go to the next level. As long as if they keep believing in you and now you start believing in yourself, then we can get there together. Yeah, and so if you look behind me on there, you look at that belief in the top right corner and then that fence post goes down is, is what? It says faith, right? Faith, and, yes. and you've talked about that today yes. because once you believe, now you gotta have faith, right? right. And you said it earlier, is you don't necessarily have to see it. You just right. gotta have the oh, faith yes. to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So I believe these things, I now have the faith. What were the actions? Um, whether it's today you got to still do to stay successful or, or and back in the, in, the, in the Olympic days, what are, what are the actions and the activities you need to do daily? Oh, you, you continue to have to do the work because, you know, for me, faith, faith is the substance unseen, but you putting in the work to get the results because who to say that, you know, I'm going to be an Olympic champion. I have faith that eventually I'm going to be that Olympic champion. But in order to achieve that, I just can't lay in my bed or the same way with an exam. You know, I'm not going to ace that exam if I don't study and put in the work, you know. So it's the same attitude. You still have to do the work, you know. And as long as you're doing the work, that faith becomes stronger because now the results are going to come because when you step out there, you're stepping out on faith. And you stepping out there knowing that I'm ready to go. That's why I don't mind my competitors on the left or right. They're supposed to be there. But I'm not going to get caught up into what they're doing. I'm going to be caught up into what I'm supposed to do. 
and I'm supposed to get out here and execute what I've been prepared to do. If you if you uh, if you've not taken note of this, to the listeners out there, work, work, work. Yes. Right. Yes. I always uh, Joe Seberger was a guy that told me this. I was 23 years old. Me and his grandson Jeff were sitting in his office. He was a, owned a car dealership, was a successful guy, and he said, uh, "Success only comes before work in the dictionary." And so you think about that, I'm, I'm hearing you right now over and over again talk about the work ethic that it takes. So, yes. And then ultimately it got you the result. So how do you, uh, how do you define success? You know, that's a tough one. Uh, for me, uh, defining success, uh, some people define it by wins and losses or uh, for me, success how it looks today for me and where I am today, it's an ongoing pro- uh, process, you know, and as long as I'm in it, I am not as successful as I want to be because I believe that leads to complacency and that means that you're satisfied. So success in my mind is that today I celebrate that, but there's another hour becomes a day, a week, a month, a year. So it's an ongoing process of being able to, now I do believe in celebrating those moments, but they only moments. Right. Yeah, I don't, I, personally, I don't believe success is ever that thing you achieve, right? No, I think right. success is the person you're becoming. Mm-hmm. I think it's the journey that you're on. Right. It's it's not necessarily the destination, it's the journey, right? Right. And so it, that's, uh, it's, it's good. What uh, When you look back at your life, what risk are you happy you took? What risk? Yeah. I, I would say the, the biggest risk was leaving East St. Louis and going off to a uh, Los Angeles for college. Yeah. Uh, not knowing, uh, I mean, that's where I wanted to be. And, but I was strong enough to recognize that it was my dream. These are my goals. I had the support around me to uh, do the things I needed to do and not listen to the people who say, oh, you're going too far away or that's, that's not good or, you know, school going to be difficult. And, and I recognized that, oh, when did you go to UCLA? When the last time you've been out there, <laughs> you know, and you know, I laugh about it, but I'm really uh, sincere from the standpoint that these are some of the things I feel that hold our kids back. Instead of you know allowing them to go and fly, allowing them to go and and to experience, but encouraging them to come back and to share their knowledge and share what they've learned to help a whole generation that's coming after them. Right. So what what advice, I'm going to list a couple of these accolades here, because I I think when you have the credibility that you have, um, when you look at kids' sports today, right, we've got all these select teams and people wanting to play one sport all year round. I mean, we're talking to a person that won six medals in four different Olympics, started for four years at UCLA, one of the best basketball programs you can be. In 2001, was voted the top basketball female basketball player in the past 25 years. Amazing, right? So you are a multiple sport athlete. Talk to us why that's so important to people that are the parents and maybe even the kids that may be listening to this. Why is that important? You know, I think it's very important to allow your, uh, your children to be involved in multi-sports from a variety of reasons. One, uh, teen sports teach you a lot about uh, each other, working together, uh, respecting one another's space, but then also pulling together and trying to 
uh, go after a, a team title. You know, and, and I think when you're younger, that it's good to do multi-sports. And there will come a time where you can decide if you just want to do basketball track or softball or tennis, you know. But uh, I find that a lot of, lot of parents that I come across today is that they see their, their kids where they want it to be, you know, and, and sometimes they feel that, well, no, I just want them to focus on, say, uh, running track, you know, not do basketball, not do volleyball. And, and I think that in a long, in a long, I guess long term, that it could be a detriment to that young person, especially, you know, I see it with, uh, well, I see it both with girls and boys and the, the battle with boys with, uh, with football or basketball or football and not doing track and how the sports overlap and they can, they can help them. But with girls, I see by the time they get 14, they started running or doing different sports at the age of seven or eight. They have decided now, for whatever reason, at their age, they can make their own decision. Then they decide they don't want to do sports at all. Right. And they really have the ability to be great, yeah. you know, in the sport. Yeah, there's burnout, there's fatigue, right? burnout, there's fatigue. injuries. Yes, and I, I think that is great when you have parents support. Parents need to be supportive, you know, and allow others to coach their, their, their child. Because when the child has a problem, they need to be able to come to you and ask you or lean on your shoulder and allow you to be the parent. But when you're out there coaching your child and they got a problem, as they evolve and grow, eventually they're not going to, uh, they're not going to stay with it. They're just right. not. Right. So let's talk about fears for a little bit. Um, do, do you, did you have a lot of fears that you put in your mind uh, as you were going through this journey of your life? I mean, have you put fears in your mind? It's a two-part question. So. Right. You know, I didn't know that I had a lot of fears, and, uh, but I did. And those fears held me back uh, just because of uh, circumstance or different things that happened. I was in middle school or junior high school, and we were working on the high jump in the gymnasium. And I wasn't supposed to be jumping on doing a high jump because the coach told us, well, our gym teacher told us just sit down. But, you know, they had this bar and we're like, let's see if we could clear it. Hard-headed, I go up, I clear the bar, but missed the mat and fell on the gym floor. And I didn't realize the reason I didn't know how to lay out was because of what happened to me in junior high school. So for years when I was high jumping, all the way up to I got to college, I would literally high jump like I'm sitting in a chair, sitting over the bar so I, I could look over and see if the mat was underneath me. Didn't want that experience again. No. And it was brought to my attention by my coaches that you have a fear of laying out. Why is that? And then I had to remember what happened to me in junior high school mm -hmm. because they were saying, you're jumping six feet to clear five eight. Oh, wow. So I had realized that when I get to, uh, I, I couldn't clear six feet jumping like this. So I had to learn how to lay out in order to become a better high jumper. Interesting. And so how many of the fears would you say that you've put in your mind over the years? How many of those have actually come true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? You know, I, the one thing about my fears is that I recognize they are fears. I look, them in, I look in the mirror and say, I'm the one who's holding myself back. I'm the one who, in the 200 meters, I had to deal with getting at the top of the curve that it's going to be okay because I pull my muscle at the top of the curve sprinting. So every time I get into 200 meters, get to the top of the curve, then I slow down. 
But I had to recognize that and say in order for me to get over that, you know, and, and that's very, it's easy to say and it's difficult to do because sometimes we don't want to recognize some of our faults or some of our fears and say that it's me and it's not the other person. Yeah. We always want to put blame on someone else instead of saying, I'm the one who's holding myself back. If you could go back and, and tell the, the 30 year old or the, or the 35 year old, 40 year old, whatever it is, Jackie Joyner Kersey, if you could give her some advice, what would you give her? You know, my advice I would give to her is to get out of her own way. You know, I don't care if I'm 10, 20, 30, don't talk too much. <laughs> Be a better listener. I believe in listening. Uh, I think that that helped me growing up because I heard what others didn't hear. So, and uh, yeah. That's good advice. <laughs> Two ears, one mouth, using proportionately, right? right. <laughs> when did you know? Uh, when did you know you were different? You know, uh, I don't know if you ever know that you're different, but I know I did things differently. I wasn't afraid to speak up when you, someone was doing wrong. You know. Uh, I always knew that uh, the coaches always wanted me to be the team leader. And even when I didn't want to accept it, you know, uh, so I think from that standpoint that it might have set me aside. But then also my other teammates or, you know, they would, you know, tell me I'm a tattletale. Like, no, you know, we got a relay. I'm in the 10th grade because that's when our high school started. I'm one of the top 400 meter runners. So the young lady is an upperclassman. So every weekend before I meet, we were put on the board and what you're supposed to do and who's running what leg. So the one young lady was like, well, I'm not gonna run hard. So we're in the meeting. We need to win this mile relay because they got 10 points up there. So I raised my hand and say, coach, well, so-and-so said that she's not gonna run hard because <laughs> I gotta run anchor, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And we were like, well, what's that all about? Cause she thought about, well, she gonna be, cause she gotta do these other events. But I'm like, everybody else gotta do three or four events too. So, right. and I'm like, it's about the team. It's not about the individuals. Yep. The individuals make up the total points so we can win the team right. title. Yep. So talk to me about turning doubters into believers. So, and you said this, right? Yes. Is you had yes. these big goals and you're back in high school saying, I'm gonna go to the Olympics. And right. Probably, yeah, okay, right. Just like you and everybody else, we're all going to go to the Olympics. Right. But you did it, right? right? So how do you turn doubters into believers? You know what? I, I, I am a firm believer that no matter who's in your camp, I mean, it matters, you know, from the standpoint that they're supportive. But my coaches, my parents, they couldn't want it more than me. I had to want it more. And me wanting it more, turned, if they had doubt, then I was able to turn them to, into a believer from the standpoint that you didn't have to tell me what time to be at practice. You didn't have to tell me when to leave. I would be the first one there and the last one to go. The same way when it comes to the job, I'm the first one there. I don't think there's anything beneath me. I can do the same thing next person because I believe in what we're trying to do. And one of my questions, which I'm not even going to ask the question because that's what we've talked about a lot today, but is it talked to me about work ethic and, and we're hearing it time and time again. And so the advice for that business person, because we've talked a lot about sports, again, they're driving down the road, they're exercising. Is it work for them too? just show up every day and just battle and get to work every single day? I think that it's, it's work, but it's also having a passion, you know, for your work, you know, and, and that passion drives you. 
and it and that becomes contagious to the people who are working with you or for you you know because if they see you're doing it it's like man, I'm gonna give a hundred percent because they don't really have to be doing this you know then that lifts your spirits up you know so the passion you know drives the work but then also putting in the work because there's a lot of people that can tell you how to do it but they have no idea why they're doing it yeah yeah talk to me now let's turn the turn the page a little bit here and, and talk to me about what do you want your legacy to be what do you want to be known for you know i i think for me uh and i know it's probably simple but i really just try to be a great person a great human being yeah and i and i hope uh I mean, I know there's other, there's a lot of things I've done, but I think being able to connect and have an impact on people's lives and they come back, you know, some of the young people I worked with years ago that come back and say, you know, I helped turn them around. You know, that's the, those are the kind of things I want to be right. known for, yeah. you know, because now everyone, they will never know about this, but it gives me a sense of joy on the inside that, you know, when I started out doing this, going going to the Mary Brown Center and just the community center, it was only because there were some people that volunteered, and I didn't even know what the word volunteer meant, but they made it possible for me. Right. So tell us about that now, what you're doing, and with the Jackie Joyner Cursey Center and all the stuff you're doing in East St. Louis and really all over the world, but especially here close to home. Tell us about it. I mean, you're beaming right now. Again, if people are listening to this, she's beaming. I mean, like smiling like you wouldn't believe. And so you can feel in her heart and her passion about what she's doing for, for kids down there. And it's amazing what you're doing. Yes, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate. You know, Joe Marks, who is here with Enterprise Bank, who is also on our board, uh, and... You know, this is my, my heart and soul is the community of East St. Louis. And, you know, growing up, I, I realized what the community center did for me. And so in building the Jackie Joyner Kersey Center, opening in 2000 and uh, having an impact, being able to have a, a, a building that sits on 37 acres. And I think we're at 62 uh, square feet now with an addition of uh, Head Start with the 22,000 square feet, but we also do after school programming. We do, uh, we have the gymnasium, we have our STEM program, we have our life skill program, which is uh, called Winning in Life. Uh, it's uh, written after my uh, autobiography, A Kind of Grace, where they go through the 14 different principles and we have a physical component to it, but it's life skills and leadership development. and is my hopes that not just the young people come through the center, but this community at large, the whole metro uh, region, embrace what we're trying to do mm -hmm. because the investment that you invest in young people today, you will see a return, you know, five, 10 years, you right. know, down the road. Yeah, yeah. So why is that so important to you? I mean, is it is it because of what it did for you when you were a kid? Because you could be the person, right, sitting on a beach somewhere and basking in the glory of all the Olympic medals and, and doing all that stuff, but you're choosing to, to get in that community and, and, and get your hands dirty. You know, um, I really believe the, the uh, I was driven from the standpoint when I was coming up, it was a lot of successful people that would come through the community, but then once they were successful, they wouldn't claim East St. Louis as home. And, and so for me, I remember in the 1988 Summer Olympic Games that I had just won the double gold and in the closing ceremony and the NBC 
put on the television because I wrote a banner that I love East St. Louis. And I wanted them to know that just because I'm successful here, I haven't forgotten where I come from. And I think that to me, that is so important because a lot of our young people, even still today, I can go through the center and they be like, oh, you should be in Hollywood. And I'm like, yeah, Hollywood is right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hollywood is where we make it. And so if I can just instill in them a little bit of, of being proud of where we from, but also in return uh, to want to give back, teaching them how to give back. And, right. and giving back might not be, you might not have the finances, or, you know, or, but just giving up your time. You know, having someone to come in and help one of our kids with reading or teaching them, you know, some different life skills or allowing them to grow and saying that if you do X, Y, and Z, that maybe one day you can come work for my company. Knowing that all this is possible within this region. Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. And I think, too, what you said is your time. It's not just, I mean, obviously, right. you want you want the checks, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> we but, all want yeah, checks, yes. but... But, but sometimes it just starts out with just the basics, yeah. giving your time, because that's what someone did for me. And I know you've got an event August 26th, and yes. uh, it's your trivia night. Tell us yes. a little bit about that. This will be our first uh, annual trivia night, August 26th, and it'll be an event we're going to hail at the Jackie Joyner Kersey Center. Yeah, we have different levels of sponsorship as well as team sponsors, and team sponsors or table start right at $200, and, but, uh, and that's a team of eight. You know, team of eight, and and then also we have our gala, October twenty sixth. That's one of our biggest uh, fundraiser. You know, because we operate on a one point three uh, annual budget. You know, and of that budget, uh, that's six hundred and sixty some thousand. That's towards uh, with our programming. You know, and we have a large facility, but of that one point three, a half million of that for the last two years we raised from our gala. Wow. And so that's a big uh, portion of our funds that we raise and have a very, very engaging board that's a very supportive board, but we have to be able to reach outside our board to continue to allow us to grow. Yeah, well, you're doing great work there, and so we, we appreciate everything you're doing in this area. It's awesome. Talk to me, uh, last few questions here. Talk to me about you're standing on top of the podium and the national anthem is playing. And I'm getting chills asking the question and it's my favorite part of the Olympics, but what's that like in, in watching the American flag go up knowing what you just did? You know, it's, the, it's one of the greatest feelings in the world because for me, when I'm standing on that podium, I'm standing there uh, thinking about all the people who helped me to get there. And yeah, you know, you, you're very proud and prideful and you know, you're not going to cry, but something about emotion, boy, them tears just start coming down. <laughs> you try not yeah. to, you know, but it's really, uh, it's just a really great feeling for the people who, you know, who really helped me, you know, yeah. and they're not able to stand there, but I want them to know I'm thinking about them. I think those, each one of those tears is the amount of hard work you put into what you did, right? Into your craft. Yes. And when I, the hard work, you know, every time you do an interview and they be like, do you feel the pressure? And you're like, no, I don't feel no pressure. But I'm telling you, when you're on top of that podium, it's like a load is weighted off your shoulder. And I'm like, oh, that must have been the pressure they were talking about. You know, because when you live it every day, you just in it. But there, there is a sigh of relief. <laughs> so what's at the top of your bucket list now? You, you've done amazing things, right? And you've done things that are probably on my bucket list that you just have 
done just because of what you've accomplished. But So what's on top of your bucket list? You know, uh, really is making sure that uh, the Jackie Joyner Currency Center continue to be uh, sustainable and a viable asset in the community of East St. Louis. That's, you know, day in and day out, no matter if I'm in Eleanor or traveling, you know, across the world, trying to get people to come visit us at the JJK Center, see what we're doing, see where, you, you know, see what you might like and hopefully you make an investment into the center. And one thing I did not say with the trivia night, we still have tables available and you can contact us at, <laughs> you know, Jackie Joyner Gersey Center. You know, the phone number is 618-274. Spell it out, K-I-D-S, kids. I like it. Or you can go to our website at jjkfoundation.org. So that's at the top of my bucket list, you know, because I get to do a whole lot of things, you know, that I'm blessed with. But, you know, being here day in and day out, I didn't think it made a difference, but it does. It makes a big, huge difference in the eyes of those kids when they see me every day. <laughs> yeah, it's a big difference, big yes. deal. Well, Jackie, I just want to thank you just for being here today. I know you got a lot of stuff going and a lot on your plate. So for you to come here to the office today and do this means a lot. And uh, I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of it. Thanks to Joe over there for introducing us. And uh, what a great podcast this has been. Lots of takeaways. Really appreciate your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.